Thank you for joining us for Sound Reasoning with Christian apologist and minister Perseus Poku of Sound Reasoning Ministries. It's our prayer that today's program will educate, train, and empower you to defend your Christian faith with confidence. Perseus has his bachelor's in history and a master's degree in apologetics. We hope you enjoy this time of equipping so that you can answer questions to defend your Christian faith effectively. Now here's Perseus Poku on Sound Reasoning. Welcome to Sound Reasoning. I'm your host, Perseus Poku. As we look around our society, it's hard to avoid the reality of sin. Uh, Things seem to be getting more egregious. Uh, People want to do what they want to do for the most part. We find uh, a lack of righteous standard outside the church and sometimes even inside the church. And as a minister, every now and then, someone brings about this topic of evil. Uh, What is evil and why do bad things happen to good people? And oftentimes, Christians struggle to give an adequate response to those who are asking about sin, about evil, about God's role and Uh, as it relates to uh, sin and evil. And it's important that we as light, we as children of God, be able to give a response that is rooted in Scripture, not necessarily based on what we think or how we feel, but rooted in Scripture. And so I am so happy for this episode uh, to talk about evil and how we as Christians should respond to it. Uh, on air with us today is my brother uh, Clay Jones, who is the associate professor of Christian apologetics at Biola University. Brother Jones, how are you? I'm very well, Percy. Thank you for having me on. Amen. Now you've uh, completed your book on why does God allow evil, with the uh, extension subtitle "Compelling Answers for Life's Toughest Questions." And this is surely a tough uh, subject. So what motivated you to write a book about evil? You know, it's uh, I think, uh, as I say in the book, I came to the problem of evil exactly backward. What happened with me is as a young pastor in the early 1980s, the Lord began to reveal to me the glory that awaits us all in heaven. And that was just I couldn't get enough of that, and I made that the major study of my life, and I made that the major teaching back then in the 1980s, uh, talking about heaven and about eternity and the glory that awaits us and so on. And uh, after, of course, I had to teach on other things too, but after after some time, uh, I began to, after several years, I began to think, well, okay, now I know where we're going. Where do we come from? And then I began to understand to study the depths of human sinfulness Mm -hmm. and our depraved nature without Christ. And I spent a lot of time in genocide studies and mass murder and stuff to see what's going on with humankind. And when I did those two things, when I understood the horror of human sinfulness and the depravity of humankind and the glory that awaits us in heaven forever, and this is probably going to sound like a surprise to a lot of your listeners, but what happened was is that the problem of evil just simply went away. I just didn't see it any longer as much of a problem. Hmm. And so I, you know, somebody says, why don't you write a book? And I went, you know what, why not? Uh, Let's do it. 
And so, but that's really, it, I see, I didn't come to the problem from the standpoint of going, wow, I see this suffering here or there. How does God answer it? I actually didn't, wasn't coming to it at all. I was just studying the glory that awaits us in heaven and the depravity of humankind. <laughs> and when I did that, I went, wow, this it, really, I don't see what the big issue is. And everybody's saying, we don't know why God allows evil. It seems pretty clear to me. Thank you for that explanation. So before we move forward, what's the basic or most simplest way we can define evil? Well, evil is a little difficult to define, but uh, I think that it's most easily defined as just as darkness is defined as the absence of light. So evil is the absence of good. Mm. It's what not what ought not to be. And I think that's basically the definition that Augustine uh, would give it uh, that it's the privation of good that you're that and and I think that it's just how the the world isn't supposed to be and that encompasses everything from a rotten peach to mm. to rape mm. you know I mean the universe isn't supposed to be like that and God is the one who uh, tells us what is good and what is not but He doesn't do so arbitrarily instead it comes He's basing he, His commands are based on His own His own nature right right thank you so. The next question, I kind of prefaced it in the intro. Why do bad things happen to good people? Well, there's several big things on that, and, and I'll just go through them quickly. Uh, the first thing is is that uh, bad things happen because when we're Adam and Eve are our first parents, they're our original parents. Uh, and when God, when uh, Adam and Eve sinned, which God warned them not to by eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, then God cursed the ground, which would enable every kind of pestilence you can imagine. Uh, what couldn't have been enabled uh, pestilence and disease-wise from God cursing the ground. And then he removed Adam and Eve from the, reju- from the Garden of Eden, which thereby removed them also from the rejuvenating power of the tree of life. And so then we were all going to die. Another reason that that uh, bad things, in a sense, happen to good people is because natural laws must work in regular ways if our actions are going to mean anything at all. And by that, I mean, otherwise, you you could have uh, Bobby could be cutting his steak with a knife sitting next to his little brother, Billy, and he could stab his knife into Billy's side, and God could make the knife turn to rubber, and the whole family could laugh, but that's not a real world. That's a cartoon world. Hmm. God could make it, it, could have made our world into a cartoon world, but uh, in a real world where your where your actions mean things, where your actions actually have consequences and mean things, natural laws must work in regular ways. And so the the water that we can swim in can also and drink can also drown us. Hmm. Fire that can warm us can also burn us. And we need to we need to handle these things responsibly. And one more thing, I'll just say one more thing, Perseus, and that is, uh, there are, and this is going to, sh- I make a big point of this is in my book. There are no good people, by the way. On top of all of that, there just are no good people. When they came to Jesus and they said, "Good teacher," and he said, "Why do you call me good? No one's good but God alone." Jesus, see, I think a lot of people think that was just Jesus was making small talk or that he was just passing the time of day shooting the breeze. No, he really meant there are no good people. Mm. No one's good. 
And I go through a lot of time, and that's why I said one of the two big things, Perseus, was understanding the depths of human sinfulness. Because once you understand the depths of human sinfulness, you find out that we're all born Auschwitz-enabled. All of us are capable of genocide, uh, barring the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So there are no good people. So really the question starts off. Uh, it's kind of a it's kind of a false question to begin with mm-hmm. because there are no good people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And none righteous outside of Christ. You can't be righteous outside of Christ. You can be outwardly good, and here's where I would encourage my brothers and sisters, especially in apologetics, to think about this. We shouldn't be telling non Christians that they can be good without qualification. Right. You can be outwardly good. Oh, clearly, then there's many, many outwardly good non-Christians, but you can't be inwardly good. And what's happened is, is we have a lot of people who are fantasizing about having sex with people they're not married to, and they're hating people. Jesus says, but if you fantasize about having sex with people you're not married to, you're an adulterer. And if you're hating people, first John says in first John, you're a murderer. And so we have a lot of a a nation full of adulterous murderers, but because they don't actually act out their adulterous and murderous inclinations out of self-interest, that's why they're not acting them out, because they don't want to get a disease or pregnant or go to jail or whatever. Uh, But we say, well, you're a good person because you're not acting it out. That doesn't make you a good person. You're not a good person for that. We appreciate that enlightenment. So my next question is – is free will, you, you talk about it in your book, is free will worth it? Well, that is the big question, really, what it comes down to. But And I think, though, for me, the answer is pretty simple. I don't think we could imagine wanting actually to be with um, robots. I don't care how good-looking science can now make them. We don't want to <laughs> be with robots. Uh, I I don't want the the most realistic woman. I wouldn't want to marry the most realistic woman in the world that basically was just a very uh, technologically advanced chatty Kathy doll that said, you know, chatty Kathy said, I love you when you pulled its string. Right. Well, that's not, you know, I mean, uh, free will is valuable. And by the way, one of the things I think that a lot of of uh, your listeners may need to know, because I find that a lot of people don't know this, and that is evil is not a thing. There's not a blob somewhere in the universe called evil. Mm-hmm. If there was such a blob, I think it would be really hard for us to explain why God would create such a blob. Evil is a misuse of the free will. That's what evil is. And now, you know, suffering that results from evil, uh, of course, is a, is a kind of a different thing. But but evil is a result of misusing the will. And let me just say, you, you, God could not, cannot, could not give creatures free will and not allow them to use it wrongly. That's actually logically impossible. You can't give a creature free will and not allow that creature to use it wrongly. You can't tell your daughter that she can go out on a date with a punk down the street and then chain her to a heavy kitchen appliance. <laughs> You haven't given her free will. And so I realize I'm packing a lot of information here in a very short period, but but this is the kind of thing that people need to think about. Definitely. And uh, for those that uh, desire to do more reading on this subject, uh, please look at getting the book by Brother Clay Jones, Why Does God Allow Evil? 
uh, compelling answers for life's toughest questions. It's a, it's a heavy subject, but it's not going anywhere. When we look around uh, our neighborhood and when we look in our community, we see evil all around us, and we as Christians have to respond. My next question, uh, Brother Jones, is how does eternity relate to our suffering now? Well, you know, that's one of the two big things, and that's why I said I started off and, and said, you know, we need to understand human depravity, and we need to understand the glory of eternal life. In fact, there's a famous West uh, preacher of Westminster Chapel uh, died in, I think, 1981, named D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, and he said, most of our troubles, and he means just the Christian's problems, are due to a double failure. We fail, on the one hand, to understand the horror and the depths of sin. We fail, on the other hand, to understand the wonder and the glory of eternal life. Uh, that's right. And and here's what I I would just encourage your listeners to consider if eternity is true, and if eternity is not true, if Christianity is a false religion, because guess what? That Christianity is about that. The most famous verse in the Bible, John 3.16, ends with, shall not perish but have eternal life. If eternity isn't true, and that's why Jesus was raised from the dead, to say, hey, look, you can live forever. If eternity isn't true, Christianity is a false religion. But conversely, if, Christ, if eternity is true, if you really are going to live forever, then eternity will dwarf our sufferings here to insignificance. And I just, I, I just can't encourage people to think about that enough, that really this life is boot camp for the life to come. That's mm. really what's going on. Right. We're in boot camp. Right. Uh, and, and our lives here are extremely short. And it's funny because we're mad at God often for how short our lives here are. Mm-hmm. But our lives here are extremely short. But he's, if you turn to Jesus, now here's the gospel, and get born again, outside, get out of Adam's family and get into the Lord's family, you can live forever and Amen. ever and ever Amen. and ever and ever. Amen. Amen. And the byproduct of that is just uh, 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 the taste of heaven right here on earth through the relationship with Jesus Christ. So that that's absolutely correct. My next question is, why does God uh, allow things to happen to children such as death? Well, you know, that's a – I'm never asked, by the way. I've never – I've asked often, uh, you know, I'll be speaking to an audience and someone will raise their hands and say – they'll say, why did God let five-year-old Kaylee die of cancer? Mm. Or why did God let – seven-year-old Braden roller skate, roller skate out or skateboard out into the, into the street and get killed by a car. And, and part of the trouble is, is of course, as I already said, natural laws work in regular ways. And so if our actions are going to mean anything, that's the world that we live in. And we need to, we need to come to grips with that. But then there's another major aspect to this that I think is gigantic. I'll say to people, when they let's just use Kaylee who died of leukemia, I'll say, well, you don't. It's not just Kaylee, right? I'll say to I've I, I had this conversation many times. I'll say it's not just Kaylee, right? You don't think other children should die of cancer either, do you? 
always Perseus. They'll say, no, of course God, God shouldn't let other children die of cancer. Mm. And I say, well, it's not just cancer, is it? You don't think God should allow children to die of other diseases, do you? Of, I mean, 100%. Of course God shouldn't let children <laughs> die from other diseases. And I'll say, well, you don't think God should let children be killed in accidents or murdered, do you? Of course God shouldn't let children be killed in accidents or, or killed in, or, um, or murdered. Of course he shouldn't do that. And they'll say, well, you don't think they should be raped or maimed, do you? 100% of the time. I just encourage you, uh, your listeners, try this with somebody. Um, just, ask, just go down this line. They'll always say, of course God shouldn't do that. Well, finally, I'm actually going somewhere with this. I'll say, well, finally, okay, then, to what age do you think children should be indestructible? Hmm. Because that's hmm. what you're asking for. You're asking for indestructible children. How does God arrange the world so that children are indestructible? How does God arrange the world so that uh, a mother who's texting on her phone uh, doesn't get into an accident uh, and hurt her child or even kill her child? How does God arrange the world so that that happens uh, without taking away free will? Uh, without, unless he's constantly, one, you know, constantly intervening in, in affairs. How does a guy, how does God stop people from driving drunk unless he's going to take away their free will? And so I challenge people all the time, how can God teach us the horror of sin and rebellion here uh, without taking away our free will? And the answer is they go, I don't know. Well, that's the problem then, isn't it? Maybe there is no better way of teaching humans the horror of of sin and rebellion here than by or of, of sin and rebellion than by letting them experience it firsthand here. Amen. Thank you for that uh, succinct uh, answer. Uh, I'm hoping that there's someone listening that uh, is getting uh, the information they need to uh, to go forth and help other people as it relates to this subject of evil. And um, one more question. Uh, will we have free will in heaven? Uh, yes, I, I I argue that we do have free will. There's only two possibilities, we will or we won't. Uh, those are the only two logical possibilities. I think we can already see that there's been free will in heaven because in Revelation 12, 7, one of the most startling verses in the Bible says, and there was war in heaven. Well, obviously, God has created beings to have significantly free wills, or there wouldn't have been war in heaven. And uh, the question is, though, how could we have free will in heaven and not sin? And I think the thing, the the big answer to that is, you and I are learning on planet Earth the horror of sin and rebellion against God. And when I'm in an audience, I'll hold a pen up to my eye and I'll say, "Would any of you like to see me jab this pen into my eye?" Most people are horrified at the prospect. I said, I could do it. I could just jab this pen into my eye right now. And most people are horrified at the prospect of that. I said, but, you know, I'm not going to. I said, you know why I'm not going to? Because that would be a very stupid thing to do, and I'm too smart for that. But we don't give <laughs> pens to babies, right? Because if we gave a pen to a baby, they'd jab it right in their eye. Right, right. Uh, and I, I can't emphasize enough that what God's doing on planet Earth is we decided to rebel against him, and he kind of did a, okay, go, you guys go ahead and knock yourselves out. See how you like it. And so uh, in heaven, of course, though, there will be no world like we know it now. We won't be one click from pornography. There will be no flesh like we know it now, no devil. He'll be in hell. Amen. 
hell will be an eternal reminder to free beings of the horror of rebellion. And we're learning lessons here, and we're going to learn more at the judgment, right? Because at the judgment day, everybody's deeds are going to be exposed. We're going to learn a lot about sin there. And this is knowledge that will that would teach us the horror and stupidity of sin mm. that I think by the time we're done with this life and that, and by the time we're done with a judgment, we're going to go, man, just sins too stupid to commit. <laughs> I can't wait. I can't wait. Yeah. But, you and me both. Brother Jones, thank you so much again for sharing your wisdom with our listeners. Uh, we are helped through this dialogue. And for those uh, that want to obtain this book, where they, where can they go? Well, you can go to Christian Discount Books, or you can go to Amazon, of course, .com, and just look up Why Does God Allow Evil, and you will find the book uh, by me immediately. And uh, so that's the, that's the easiest thing to do. <laughs> Excellent. Well, thank you again for coming on Sound Reasoning. Uh, we'll, be, we'll be in touch, and may God continue to bless you and your ministry. Well, thank you. And you too, Perseus. Thank you for having me on. Amen. That was Dr. Clay Jones. Um, professor of Christian apologetics at Biola University. And he's on sharing highlights from his book, Why Does God Allow Evil? Compelling Answers for Life's Toughest Questions. And that's a subject that all of us will have to deal with in terms of sin, rebellion, evil, uh, and a host of other things. So we thank you again for listening to Sound Reasoning Radio Show. Uh, we also want to encourage all of you to uh, share and donate to Sound Reason and Ministries as we uh, try to share the healthy teaching of God's word through this show. And if you believe in, in what we're doing and what the Lord is doing through us, we ask that you consider giving. Uh, you can go to our website, www.srministries, or you can send uh, your love offering or donation to uh, P.O. Box, but all the information is on the website. And again, we thank God for all of you, for your gifts, for your intellect, and your ability uh, to lean into what Christ is doing, that our homes, that our, our community, uh, that our um, perspective may be Christ-like, and that others may be blessed through the things that we do. So please go out and Prepare yourself, evangelize, disciple. Be always ready to give each man and woman an answer, a reason for the hope that lies within you. And we're told to do it with gentleness and respect. That's very important. We have so much work to do. And in order to do the work, we must be trained. May God continue to bless you. Thanks for listening to Sound Reasoning with apologist and minister Perseus Poku from Sound Reasoning Ministries. It's our prayer that today's lesson has equipped you to share and defend your Christian faith with boldness. Sound Reasoning Ministries offers training in apologetics, biblical studies, and systematic theology. Join in on discussions on Facebook at Sound Reasoning Ministries. For more information about the ministry, to send an email, ask a question, or support the ministry, visit online at srministries.org. That's srministries.org. 
Listen again next week at this same time. And remember, Titus 1.9 says, Hold firm to the trustworthy message as has been taught so that you can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. Sound Reasoning Ministries, srministries.org. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. God invites us to cultivate thankful hearts by turning our eyes toward Him in good times and bad. To listen to more Abide Christian Meditations, just go to lifeaudio.com or search your favorite podcast app for Abide Christian Meditation. You can also download the Abide app for more biblical meditations at abide.com.